0: Hello, this is R.J. Deacon reading the Supreme Court of the United States opinion syllabus in Nieves v. Bartlett, certiori to United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. Argued, November 26, 2018. Decided, May 28, 2019. Respondent Russell Bartlett was arrested by police officer Luis Nieves and Bryce Waite for disorderly conduct and resisting arrest during Arctic Man, a raucous winter sports festival held in a remote part of Alaska. According to Sergeant Nieves, he was speaking with a group of attendees when a seemingly intoxicated Bartlett started shouting at them not to talk to the police. When Nieves approached him, Bartlett began yelling at the officer to leave. Rather than escalate the situation, Nieves left. Bartlett disputes that account, claiming that he was not drunk at the time and did not yell at Nieves. Minutes later, Trooper Waite says Bartlett approached him in an aggressive manner while he was questioning a minor, stood between Waite and the teenager, and yelled with slurred speech that Waite should not speak with the minor. When Bartlett stepped towards Waite, the officer pushed him back. Nieves saw the confrontation and initiated an arrest. When Bartlett was slow to comply, the officers forced him to the ground. Bartlett denies being aggressive and claims he was slow to comply because of a back injury. After he was handcuffed, Bartlett claims that Nieves said, Bet you wish you would have talked to me now. Bartlett sued under 42 U.S.C. Section 1983, claiming that the officers violated his First Amendment rights by arresting him in retaliation for his speech, i.e. his initial refusal to speak with Nieves and his intervention in Waits' discussion with the minor. District Court granted summary judgment for the officers, holding that the existence of probable cause to arrest Bartlett precluded his claim. The Ninth Circuit reversed. It held that probable cause does not defeat a retaliatory arrest claim and concluded that Bartlett's affidavit about what Nieves allegedly said after the arrest could enable Bartlett to prove that the officer's desire to chill his speech was a but-for cause of the arrest. Supreme Court held, uh, decision was reversed and remanded. Chief Justice Roberts delivered the opinion of the court. Because there was probable cause to arrest Bartlett, his retaliatory arrest claim fails as a matter of law. To prevail on a claim such as Bartlett's, the plaintiff must show not only that the official acted with a retaliatory motive and that the plaintiff was injured, but also that the motive was a but-for cause of the injury, That's Hartman versus Moore. Establishing that causal connection may be straightforward in some cases, Mount Healthy City Board of Education versus Doyle, but other times it is not so simple. In retaliatory prosecution cases, for example, the causal inquiry is particularly complex because the official alleged to have the retaliatory motive does not carry out the retaliatory action himself. Instead, The decision to bring charges is made by a prosecutor who is generally immune from suit and whose decisions receive a presumption of regularity. To account for that problem of causation, plaintiffs in retaliatory prosecution cases must prove as a threshold matter that the decision to press charges was objectively unreasonable because it was not supported by probable cause. That's Hartman. Because First Amendment retaliatory arrest claims involve causal complexities akin to those identified in Hartman, see Reichel versus Howards and Lozman versus Riviera Beach. The same no probable cause requirement generally should apply. The causal inquiry is complex because protected speech is often a wholly legitimate consideration for officers when deciding whether to make an arrest, Reichel. In addition, Evidence of the presence or absence of probable cause for the arrest will be available in virtually every retaliatory arrest case. Its absence will generally provide weighty evidence that the officer's animus caused the arrest, whereas its presence will suggest the whereas its presence will suggest the opposite. While retaliatory arrest cases do not implicate the presumption of prosecutorial regularity, or necessarily involve multiple government actors, the ultimate problem remains the same. For both claims, it is particularly difficult to determine whether an adverse government action was caused by the officer's malice or by the plaintiff's potentially criminal conduct. Bartlett's proposed approach disregards the causal complexity involved in these cases and dismisses the need for any threshold objective showing, moving directly to consideration of the officer's subjective intent. In the Fourth Amendment context, however, this court has almost uniformly rejected invitations to probe officers' subjective intent. See Ashcroft v. Al Kidd. A purely subjective approach would would undermine that precedent, would dampen the anchor of all but the most resolute or most irresponsible in the unflinching discharge of their duties, That's uh, Gregory versus Biddle. Would compromise even-handed application of the law by making the constitutionality of an arrest vary from place to place and from time to time, depending on the personal motives of individual officers, Devin Peck versus Alford, and would encourage officers to minimize communication during arrests to avoid having their words scrutinized for hints of improper motive. When defining the contours of a Section 1983 claim, this court looks to common law practice that were w- principles, common law principles that were well settled at the time of its enactment. Kalina v. Fletcher. When Section 1983 was enacted, there was no common law tort for retaliatory arrest based on protected speech. Turning to the closest analogs, Heck v. Humphrey. Both false imprisonment and malicious prosecution suggest the same result. The presence of probable cause should generally defeat First Amendment retaliatory arrest claims. Because states today permit warrantless misdemeanor arrests for minor criminal offenses in a wide range of situations, whereas such arrests were privileged only in limited circumstances when Section 1983 was adopted, a narrow qualification is warranted for circumstances where officers have probable cause to make arrests, but typically exercise their discretion not to do so. An unyielding requirement to show the absence of probable cause in such cases could pose a risk that some police officers may exploit the arrest power as a means of suppressing speech. That's Lozeman. Thus, the no probable cause requirement should not apply when a plaintiff presents objective evidence that he was arrested when otherwise similarly situated individuals not engaged in the same sort of protected speech, had been United States versus Armstrong. Because this inquiry is objective, the statements and motivations of the particular arresting officer are irrelevant at this stage. After making the required showing, the plaintiff's claim may proceed in the same manner as claims where the plaintiff has, has met the threshold showing of the absence of probable cause. The decision below is reversed and remanded. Chief Justice Roberts delivered the opinion of the court, in which Justices Breyer, Alito, Kagan, and Kavanaugh joined, and in which Justice Thomas joined, except as to Part 2D. Justice Thomas filed an opinion concurring in part and concurring in the judgment. Justice Gorsuch filed an opinion concurring in part and dissenting in part, Justice Ginsburg filed an opinion concurring in the judgment in part and dissenting in part. Justice Sotomayor filed a dissenting opinion. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get a hold of the podcast, we can be reached at rhodesscholar80 at gmail.com. That's R-O-A-D-S and eight zero.